So tonight I want to tell you an amazing story from Scripture. And uh, it's, it, you know, I asked this week on Facebook uh, people's favorite parts in the Gospel of John. And I was amazed how many people kind of chimed in of uh, what their favorite parts were. Um, this is definitely usually a favorite uh, for people as they think about stories in the Gospel of John. And so I want to talk through the story right now. Um, I'm not going to read every verse of John chapter 11, verses 1 to 44, but I want to tell the story of Lazarus. And it's an amazing story that's found in Scripture. And it starts off with Lazarus being sick. So Lazarus is sick, and instructions is given, a message is sent to Jesus that Lazarus was sick from Mary and Martha. And we realize as we read the story of Scripture that Jesus actually had a previous relationship with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus because the Bible teaches us that he loved Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And um, Martha was the person who uh, anointed Jesus' feet uh, with perfume. And so Jesus tips his hand a little bit here in this passage of Scripture in John and says, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified. And so something amazing is about to happen but Jesus actually waits two more days. Instead of just going, like when they send the message, like happened in John chapter 4, there was a messenger that came to Jesus saying, um, my child is sick, and Jesus basically said, go home, you know, your, your, your kid will be well. And, it, and he kind of comes to find out that at the very hour that Jesus had said that, um, the boy got well, the child got well. And so, but that doesn't happen in this story. Jesus gets word that Lazarus is sick, and Jesus doesn't say anything in that instance, except for the, for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified. And then Jesus stays two more days, which is really interesting. That doesn't really happen in Scripture a lot. Like, there's always bring him to me, or, you know, all these different instances of miracles happen. But this is kind of a different story, and Jesus stays there. Even though it's someone that he has this personal relationship with, he stays there. Then after two days, the story shifts from where they're at. Jesus says, let us go back to Judea. The pro there's a problem with going back to Judea because as we read and learned in the last two uh, messages in John chapter 10, opposition had kind of rose quite adamantly against Jesus and they attempted actually to stone him. And so Jesus wasn't really um, hanging out a lot in Jerusalem for that reason because they wanted to stone him. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to arrest him and, and put him in, in jail and try him. And so Jesus wasn't spending a whole lot of time in Judea. But then Jesus says, let us go back to Judea. And so they make the trek up to Jerusalem. And Jesus says to his disciples, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And the disciples are like, well, he's fallen asleep. Let's just go like set the alarm clock and wake him up, right? Like, let's just go wake him up. And Jesus is like, they weren't getting it. Jesus was using figurative language and says, no, Jesus, he says it plainly. He says, Lazarus is dead. He's dead. So Jesus actually knew that. And then Thomas says this statement, like, let us go so we might die with them. And there's this kind of, this, this desire to go up, because they knew that they were risking their life to head back into that area. And of course, John 11 then bleeds into John chapter 13 to 17, where Jesus is actually preparing his disciples, giving his last word. Jesus knows that this trek up to Jerusalem is actually going to be the end of his life. But he goes. And so he goes up. First, he has this amazing interaction with Martha, which we'll talk about here in a moment. But then Jesus has this really emotional interaction with Mary. And we have the shortest verse in the entire Bible. What is it? Man, you come on. That's right. Goal scripture memorization. Good job, everyone. Jesus wept. And it's amazing because Jesus actually showed his humanness, that he genuinely did love people. 
and was grieving along with the other Jews because the Bible teaches us when he saw the grief and the emotion from all, from Mary and from Martha and from all the other people, he wept because he felt their grief. But then the Bible says that people are again divided like they were in John chapter 10. People are again are divided. Some, talk, some were talking about his compassion, saying, see how Jesus really loved the people? But then the other people are like, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind, John chapter 10 and John chapter 9, right? Could not the man who opened the eyes of the blind, couldn't he kept this man from dying? Then we have the miracle, which is amazing. Jesus asked people to move the stone away, and Martha kind of objects. She wants to put the brakes on the miracle because he's like, well, it's going to smell really bad. And the truth is, it, it probably did still smell bad when they rolled it away because he was still dead. But then they rolled the stone away, and Jesus prays to the Father and proclaims, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out wrapped in grave, grave clothes, and Jesus commands people to take off the grave clothes and let him go. So first of all, holy smokes, what an incredible story, right? Straight up. Like, and you all seen somebody raised from the dead recently? Nope. Me neither. And this isn't like, this isn't a downplay like Jesus healing the blind man like he did in John chapter 9, or like rebuking fevers, or making the lame walk again, but bringing someone back to life that was dead for four days? Man, like, right? Is anyone else, like, blown away by this? And this isn't just a story, right? It'd be one thing if this was, like, a story or a movie or something like this. Like, this actually happened. Jesus brought a dead man that was dead for four days back to life. That's, like, <laughs> like is there anything more miraculous than that? It's just an incredible story. But why did Jesus perform this particular miracle? You know, there's something in Jesus' interaction with Martha that really helps us to see why did Jesus actually do this miracle. So it's going to be on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 11. We're going to look at verse 27, verse 17 to 27. It says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. I remember being in Bethany when I went to Israel a couple years ago, and it's like you can see Jerusalem. It's just a stone throw away. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. There was an, a mentality amongst Jewish people during Jesus' time, and some of this was taught by different rabbis, and is more of a superstition, but Jewish people believed that the Spirit hovered over a dead person for three days. But after the third day, the Spirit was gone, and they were, like, really dead, okay? There's being dead, 
and there's being like dead dead. There's like being dead, and then there's like being dead as a doornail. When you got to the fourth day, you were toast. Like dead as a doornail, ain't coming back, okay? So it was that kind of mentality amongst Jewish people. And so Jesus waited the fourth day. And like back in the day, they didn't have Google or Facebook, right? Actually, they didn't even have a telephone. So word spread through like word of mouth. And so word got around over the three days about Lazarus being dead. And by the fourth day, word was widespread because Jewish people were coming from all over to grieve with Mary and Martha about the loss of their brother. And so word had spread enough that people, people in the general region were like hearing the story of Lazarus has died. He was sick and now he's dead. And so Jesus steps on the scene not just four days after to kind of prove that he was who he says he was, but so that the general area knew. And this is really dangerous because this miracle really set up Jesus to eventually be crucified. Because after people found out that Jesus actually raised him from the dead, it was, this was like the turning point for Jesus. And he knew that this was the risk. And so that's what's happening. That's what's significant about the four days. And so there's three things that I want to kind of talk about in the text here tonight. The first one is like, Jesus is uncomfortably comfortable with death. Or in other words, Jesus was okay that Lazarus died. He was okay with it. Like, Jesus loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, but Jesus actually lingered where he was. He didn't go immediately like he could have. Jesus actually leaves late than what Mary and Martha would have preferred. And we all know, like, based on other stories in Scripture, most of us would agree that Jesus could have healed Lazarus, right? Like, Lazarus didn't have to die. If Jesus had a left, or or we learn from John chapter 4, he didn't even have to leave. He could have just said the word, and Lazarus, the sickness would have been gone, and he would have been healed. But he was okay to let Lazarus actually die. I don't know about you, but, like, I strongly dislike pain and suffering and grief. Like, I feel like I'm allergic to those kinds of emotions, right? I like feeling positive feelings. But sometimes grief and pain and suffering is actually necessary. Matter of fact, sometimes grief and pain and suffering is the pathway to the miracles God has for us. But none of us desire that. Just think about the cross for a second. Painful, suffering, and death. But how many miracles have we experienced today because Jesus chose the pathway of pain, suffering, and death? Sometimes the pathway to the miracle is pain and suffering and death. And I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound good to me. And sometimes, like, we're so easy to cop out and miss the miracles in the midst of the suffering and the pain. We kind of turn away from that. And oftentimes, we want God to show up when, where, and how we want him to show up, right? It's like drive through Jesus. We want our order, and we want it now. And if you get our order wrong, man, we're mad. But we do that with God. We're like, God, I want this to happen in this way, in this situation, in this timing. And if not, right? They're not going to pick that up on the podcast. But, like, we get, we get angry. 
And we, and we sound a little bit like Mary and Martha. Like, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. And we, get, we, we blame God for bad circumstances that have happened in our life. We wouldn't have suffered, we say. And I think sometimes, like, as a church, we sometimes suffer and grieve like people that don't have any hope. And I'm like, hear me, please. I'm not downplaying grief. I'm not downplaying your suffering, your pain, what you're going through. But wouldn't you agree that sometimes as a church we grieve and suffer as if there's no hope beyond this life? That we actually are so wrapped up in what's happening on this earthly realm that we forget there's actually an eternity to look forward to. That there's hope even beyond death. And sometimes we just get so wrapped up in that we forget that there's actually hope. You see, Jesus was okay with all the pain and suffering and death because on the other side of the pain and the death was actually a miracle. And sometimes I think we give up right before the miracle of faith actually happens. What if the suffering you're experiencing is the breeding ground for a resurrection? You see, because in order for something to be resurrected, guess what? It's got to die. In order for something to be resurrected, it has got to die. And if we're going to experience the resurrection power of Jesus, not just in the life to come, but the life right now, guess what has to happen? we got to die. I don't like dying. I don't like dying to myself, to my like, emotions and my wants and my desires. I don't like dying, but Paul said he had to die daily, take up his cross to follow Jesus. Jesus' call is actually to call us to come and die, to lay down our lives. But in exchange for that, God gives us his power, his ability, his resources. But if we're going to experience God's resurrection power, we have to die. So Jesus is uncomfortably comfortable with death. As much as it grieves him to see people go through these negative emotions, we see that in John chapter 11, verse 35. Jesus wept. He grieved with them but he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus so much, he was okay with them going through the grief. Why? Because their faith was more important than their grief. And Jesus was about to do something that was going to unlock a key piece in the puzzle of their faith, and we're going to go there now. Martha says, if you had been here, and then she refers to the resurrection in the last day. You see, Martha is a woman of faith, but her faith is in the systems and structures. How many times do we find ourselves trusting in formulas? Jesus and Martha have this amazing exchange, and I love how Jesus uses the question to help Martha discover her faith. She says, he says, do you believe this? See, Martha was hoping, as Jesus interacted with Martha, Martha was hoping in the future resurrection for Lazarus, that one day everyone will be resurrected, and that's kind of what Martha's hope was in. But Jesus had a little surprise for Martha. And it's amazing, this interaction with Martha. And in the Bible, Martha gets a really hard time. She gets a bad rap. And the reason being is, like, Jesus actually corrects her when Mary and Martha have this thing. Martha's busy worrying about the details and logistics, and Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus lovingly and graciously rebukes Martha. And we give Martha a really hard time. But what's amazing as I studied the Scripture this week is there's things about Martha that are amazing in this passage of Scripture. Martha is actually a woman of faith. 
Like just like it's it's actually amazing, but there's something that's key that's missing in her faith. And I think there's something that's key often that's missing in our faith. We believe in the church, we believe in God, but there's a disconnect from us actually believing in and trusting Jesus. Like a lot of people will say, well, I go to church. That would be their confession. Or I believe in God. But do you know Christ? Do you know him? Have you experienced Jesus? Not the church. Have you had an encounter with Christ? You see, Martha and the disciples and all those that were watching, they were missing a key cornerstone of their faith. And so Jesus gives us this amazing interaction with Martha and Martha's questions and comments and interactions actually leads us to something so incredible. But Martha actually has a few things in place that are actually good. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's faith, is it not? She believes in Jesus so much so that if Jesus would have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Like, that's pretty good faith, right? Probably better than mine. The second thing, but even now, despite the death that we've experienced, Martha's saying, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Isn't that faith? Yeah. Like, she still believes that despite this awful grief that Jesus can still do anything. Then, then, then she also has this faith. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So we give Martha a bad rap, but Martha actually is a woman full of faith but she's just missing a key piece. And so Jesus graciously wants to help Martha to see that there's something missing. There's a key piece in the puzzle that's missing. And I absolutely love in John's gospel how John will often use a miracle to help validate the message that he gives. And let's go back to what's the whole purpose of John's gospel? Why did John write the gospel of John? And for those of you that are in the small group, you guys probably know the answer to this question. Why did John write the Gospel of John? So we believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing, you'd what? Have life in his name. That's why John wrote the Gospel of John. So that people would believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing, you might have life in his name. So Jesus does this miracle. Why did Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead? So that people would believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing, they would have life in his name. That's why Jesus was okay to let Lazarus die. That's why Jesus was okay with Mary and Martha and all the friends going through the grief even though Jesus felt it. Because the miracle of raising Lazarus was about to bring life into Mary, into Martha, into disciples, into Lazarus himself. So Jesus was okay with letting Jesus, with letting Lazarus die. Because faith would come in the middle of the miracle. You see, Martha's focus and attention was on the what, the when, the where, and the how. But Jesus was trying to get Martha to put her faith in the who. Jesus was trying to get Martha to put her faith in the who. She knew that there'd be a resurrection on the last day, and she knew all the logisticals and details. But Jesus was trying to get Martha to unlock the key cornerstone of her faith. And it was Jesus himself. Faith in him. 
Jesus goes on to say, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And Martha's response was, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. You see, Jesus led Martha to the place of discovering who she really needed to put her faith in, and that's Jesus himself. So what is your faith in? What is your faith actually in? Is your mind consumed by all the details and and formulas? Because I think so often we can be like Martha and the disciples and believe all the right things and actually miss believing and actually in him. Actually having this intimate relationship that God actually invites us into. Faith in Jesus himself. Do you believe that Jesus is actually the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that? Because if you do, then the Bible teaches us that Jesus is actually the source of present and future hope. Jesus says, I am, not it is the resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection. Jesus wants Martha to put her hope not in this future resurrection, but actually in Jesus himself. You know, we talk about Martha thinking about, if you've been here, but we rewind the tape to John chapter 4, and we see that story I referred to about Jesus healing this child. But it's not about places and times. It's about faith in a person. And sometimes I think in the midst of pain and suffering, we get tunnel vision, and we think about this future reality, like Martha was thinking about. The last day, you'll resurrect. Lazarus will be resurrected. And so sometimes we get this tunnel vision, and we think about when we get past this pain and this suffering and all this sort of stuff, you know, I think about people that have gone before us and the church as it lived through World War I and World War II and depressions and stuff like that. And oftentimes, a lot of the songs that were written in those seasons of suffering and darkness and death, a lot of them were about Jesus come again. Or like, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Or like, in the sweet by and by. And a lot of songs were written in the midst of pain and suffering because people were under so much oppression and so much heaviness that they looked forward to the day when they would go to the eternal home. And that's a really good thing. But if your view of God's power and resurrection is just about a future day, you're missing out. And our generation who lives for the here and now, we kind of like overemphasize here and now so much and tap into God's power for living now We've lost, like, the key component in our faith that actually eternal life is now and then. The kingdom of God is now and then. And so this isn't an either-or. Resurrection power is available now and for all eternity. That Christ invites us to experience his resurrection power right now, and one day, by the resurrection power of Jesus, we will all be resurrected and stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And for those of us that have faith in Jesus, we will spend all of eternity worshiping an amazing God that created everything, that created you and created me. And that all can happen if you believe that Jesus is the resurrection. But I think we're guilty of doing an either or instead of a both and. Jesus is our present hope, but he's also our future hope. I'm going to invite the worship team to come at this time. I love the Bible. 
And I love how God's Word in the New Testament, over and over again in Paul's writing, he unpacks for us this incredible reality that once every single one of us was dead in our transgressions and sins. We were dead. We were dead in our sin, the Bible teaches us. We were buried beneath the weight of our sin. We lived in death and darkness, doomed forever, Ephesians 2 says, because of our many transgressions. We were in a hopeless, powerless state of despair. How many of you in this room remember your life before Jesus? How many remember how dark it was? How many remember it felt like death? How many remember it was hopeless and you felt powerless and you just were longing to have transformation happen in your life? How many remember how dark that was? And how many of us remember the moment we met Jesus? How many of us remember when Jesus breathed his life into our lifeless souls? Jesus literally fills us with his resurrection power for here and for then. And Jesus called our name just like he called Lazarus, and we come flying out of the grave. We strip off those old clothes and become the new creation that Jesus has called us to be. We're no longer who we used to be. God has made us new, amen? And not only that, God fills us with his power and gives us the ability to live a life fully pleasing to him. We experience freedom from death and despair in this life and hope for the life to come because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Jesus is calling your name. He's saying, come out of that grave. Come out of that sin. Come out of that addiction. Come out of that shame and that guilt. Come out of darkness and take off those old clothes because I have the power and ability to set you free. It doesn't matter how dark that addiction is. It doesn't matter how big the struggle is in your marriage. It doesn't matter the darkness and death you feel like you're in. It doesn't matter if you're in the most hopeless situation. Jesus offers you his resurrection life so there is hope for you. God wants to breathe hope and optimism into your situation. We haven't been adding the resurrection power to the equation of our lives. And that's what we want to do. You need to put your faith in him tonight. You need to believe that Jesus can and he's able. So dead man, come out of that grave. Jesus offers his resurrection power to you. And the power to break the chains and set you free. And maybe you're here tonight and you feel like you're that dead man. You feel like there's no hope for my life. I feel dead inside. My soul is dead. And I long to experience this life that you're talking about. Maybe you need to make that decision to make the step from death to life and put your faith in Jesus, who is resurrection, who is life. Maybe tonight you need to make that decision. We're going to have a prayer. People come up at this time. We'd love for you to slip out from your seat. Come on up front and make that decision to invite Christ to come in maybe for the very first time. Listen. Resurrection power is available to each and every one of you in this place tonight. Do you believe that Jesus is a resurrection and a life? Well, what does that mean to how you live your life? Are you experiencing the power of God? Do you experience his power in your life? The Bible teaches us that he's given us his divine power 
to give us everything we need to live our lives for him. And Jesus paid it all on the cross and rose again from the dead so that in this moment, right now, right here, you could experience the power and presence of God. Do you believe that? Because that's literally the good news of the gospel that God offers to all of us. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word. And we just pray for just a real outpouring of your spirit in this place tonight. And I just pray for those that feel like they're in a hopeless situation. Lord, and I just celebrate the good news, Lord. I celebrate the fact that there's people that have said, I can't believe this person's in church because that's the miracles that you do. And there's people that, that have heard about people that have never made the decision to accept Jesus and they become a Christian and people are like, I can't believe that person's a Christian. And Father, there's people that have made the step in baptism and they're saying, I can't believe that person's getting baptized. And there's people, Father, that, that have experienced the transformation of Jesus and they say, I can't believe, Lord, how different that person is. And Lord, it's so hard for us to believe, but that's exactly what you do. You do the miraculous in our lives, God. So do it in this place, we pray, Father, in a way only you can. In Jesus' name, let's stand to our feet and sing.